Ephesians 4 uh, will conclude uh, with what a grown-up church looks like. What does a grown-up church, the body of Christ, look like? And then ask yourself, does Valley look like this? Uh, you may even measure yourself. Are you looking like this? And we read in Ephesians 4 <clears throat> that when Christ ascended on high, he did two things. He emptied paradise that was in the heart of the earth, and he took it up. And when he got up, he did something else. He gave gifts to his church. This all comes from the Roman general in victory going down the Appian Way in Rome that he distributed gifts from his conquest. We won the battle. We won the campaign. <clears throat> and so when he would come back to Rome, they'd throw a parade down the Appian Way and the general is bringing the enslaved that they captured. They're distributing gifts, food, jewels, Hey, I'm a conqueror. I'm a victor. Now, notice what it says. <clears throat> Verse 7. But grace, get my voice here, <clears throat> yelling too much at home. But grace <clears throat> was given to each one of us according to the measure <clears throat> of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. I'm saying he ascended. What does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Christ <clears throat> The Christ who came down to the earth, the Christ that even went into paradise upon those three days that he was in the grave, this Christ changed paradise. You remember in Luke 16, Christ said paradise was separated by a great gulf from a burning hell, Luke 16. But Paul said, I was caught up to paradise. When did paradise go up? It went up at this point. When Christ ascended, he brought all the Old Testament saints with him, moved paradise up there. Paradise isn't in the earth. It's up there now. What changed that? Christ. Christ. What else? Christ gave gifted men. And so gifted men have been given to the church, and we want to look at what Christ hoped to accomplish through them. So, what did he give? It says he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, and he gave pastor teachers. That's what a lot of guys I grew up, because there's a definite article with two nouns, and you can make the two function in one person. Some keep it separate. Say, he gave shepherd pastors, just that, and then he gave teachers. So, uh, some see that one man, two functions, others see two separate men. No matter, he gave these functions for the church. Foundational to the church were the apostles and the prophets. Uh, they gave us the New Testament. 
They spoke by divine revelation, established churches, and gave the truths and the doctrines that we call ours today foundation. Ephesians 2 said the foundation of the church is built on the cornerstone of Christ, and the apostles and prophets were foundation stones. So that happened within the first century. But the continual gifts that are in the church, he picks up with an evangelist and then picks up with shepherd teachers. Evangelist, what is this guy? He's a guy that makes proclamation of the gospel primarily to an unsaved audience. Uh, he is someone that can help equip the rest of us how to evangelize, but his focus and his audience primarily is always unsaved. <clears throat> I only know, I, I think we may have one evangelist in this church. I don't know of any more. Are you? Where are the evangelists? Look around you. Uh, who loves <clears throat> to go to an unsaved audience to share the gospel? What do we do? We keep telling it back and forth to each other and arguing over who's got it right. Who says it better? Why don't you go tell it to someone going to hell? Do you know enough gospel to tell a man going to hell how to go to heaven? Well, there's men who are gifted to do it, and you have Philip in Acts 8, and they establish churches, they lead people to the Lord. But so much of church life uh, is aimed at each other, one another, more for us, more for us. And once we get enough folks to make our budget, who needs to evangelize? Just pay the bills. No, 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 no. He gave evangelists not only to reach the lost, but to help equip the saints how to reach them. And we desperately need that. Uh, constantly. Sean's making that effort. Mercy teams. It's like pulling teeth to get people in the church help us in evangelism. It's a downward escalator all the time. Evangelism always dies. It's always dying. It's always going down. Nobody wants to do it. I got mine. But there is that driven gift of evangelism. Then he goes on to talk about pastor teachers. Let's talk about a pastor. <clears throat> that word pastor is the word shepherd. Did you know you could translate 20, the 23rd Psalm this way? The Lord is my pastor. I shall not want. Is the Lord your pastor? He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. The rest of us guys fall short in a thousand ways. But God's people have a shepherd in Jesus. But God actually has gifted men. And by the way, when you see this as a gift and not an office, he's gifted women too. There's gifted women evangelists. There's gifted women shepherds. We just don't make them elders. See, we get confused with the gift and the office. Oh, he's a pastor. Well, then we automatically got an office, maybe wear a clerical card, signs his name reverend. That's not what, he's not talking about this at all. He's talking about how they function. How they function. They shepherd people. They help people and comfort them. They encourage uh, they, they help bring people along. And I don't care what gender you are. If you'll do that, we'll, we'll say you're a shepherd. You're having a shepherding ministry. Oh, matter of fact, we don't care if you do it to children. 
We don't care who you do it to. <clears throat> Just shepherd. Shepherd. Don't make it an office. It's not that. It's not. It's a function. And then he gave teachers. So what is this guy to be doing? Be shepherding, helping people along in their struggles. That's the shepherding. Uh, shepherding is messy, lonely work. It's not the platform usually. Uh, a counseling maybe, adjustments, whatever. Uh, ministering to troubled saints. Then the teacher is the one who is instructing them uh, how to live the Christian life. What are the truths? We need help. And Christ says, I'm providing the gifts. Foundation, apostles, prophets. For the continual growth of my church, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Function in the body. Someone has said that a uh, teacher is not necessarily a pastor, but a pastor has to be a teacher. And uh, having... Uh, been flying under the title for years of uh, a pastor. Uh, let me tell you one thing about the church. It is so confused about what a pastor is supposed to be doing. It is no wonder pastors are bailing out of the ministry all the time. Have many leaving. I just read an article where many pastors are committing suicide. They're having an epidemic of it. Uh, and it's uh, depression, uh, no job fulfillment, uh, too many expectations, and all of this stuff. What in the world does a pastor, what is he supposed to do? Basically, he's supposed to do what you expect. And that's why the church is in a mess. Nobody knows what they're supposed to do. And everybody's writing the job description. Now, he said, Take care of, lead my people while you're teaching them. I just, uh, Ian Murray wrote the life story of uh, John MacArthur, and I've been reading through that. And MacArthur, when he first took Grace Church, he said, first of all, I've got to study 30 hours a week, and then I pick up any other duties. They said, what? He said, yeah, I'm, I want to study 30 hours a week. I'm going to teach the word. Well, uh, the toilet's running over. I'm not in the toilet ministry. Uh, sister so-and-so needs to be visited. I'll get to it, but at first I'm going to study 30 hours a day, a week. He's kept that up for 42 years, and the church has died. Have any of you ever gone to Grace? There's a seminary, there's a college, but it's a church that still runs 13 to 15,000 people. His books, I forget how many, it was 33 million copies of his books and his letters and his articles. 33 million. Have any of you uh, seen his study Bible? That is sold in the millions. I grew up, the pastor was the one that was always to be in your house and have a piece of pie. And we wonder why they all looked obese. <laughs> Nothing, not uncommon to be a fatty pastor. And it's the saint's fault. You fattened the calf for the kill. Uh, See, so you haven't fed me well, so I'm skinny. 
what does this guy do? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's supposed to be a manager, supposed to be an administrator, best counselor, wise as our family, uh, reads the most books of anyone in the church, the holiest man. It's no wonder the guy said, keep the job, get somebody else to shoot. You got to know, when I step out of here, what kind of guy do you want to vote in? You had no choice as a whole because none of you were here when I rented a hall and started. None of you. Not even my brother David. She was here in Virginia. Then a bunch of empty chairs. So I had no board, had no membership. I just had a burn to teach the Bible, and I taught it five times a week. And people come to me, we need this program. We need this. We need that. We need. I said, is God calling you to start it? No, my, my, my gift is to see the need. <laughs> my gift is to tell you what you ought to be doing. I said, no, I do a Bible study for men. I do a Bible study for women. I preach all day Sunday. Matter of fact, I take my mother to lunch uh, on uh, Mondays, take her to breakfast. Is it okay for a pastor to take his mother to breakfast? Well, that's not your job description. Well, it's in my lifestyle. She's worth it. Pretty soon, what I need to check with, I am supposed to be set aside to be in the Word and in prayer, according to Acts 6, and there are hardly any of us do it. Because you're in meeting after meeting, planning that never happens, meetings that uh, are more than you need. This, as it grows, then you've got to become a corporate manager. Stop all this teaching. We already got it. No, no. So we keep, if we keep having people come here, how many of you have been equipped? Been equipped. There's three things these gifted men are supposed to produce in the body. You're supposed to be equipped. You're supposed to be equipped to serve. And you're supposed to be equipped to build up the body if all pastors died. Number one, be equipped. Verse 12, they are given for the equipping of the body. What does it mean to be equipped? Flip that slide back there, if you would. Uh, I'll pass the text. Uh, what does it mean? It means to be put in order, to be adjusted. It was used of mending nets. It was used of Christ, a body thou hast prepared for me. It's prepared people. Prepared for what? Prepared to serve. Prepared to build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is to be self-sustaining. There's no real need that should ever go unmet in this body if every member is functioning like Christ designed. And he says that in verse 16. If there's no kink in the ligaments, there's no kink in the body, because when you get a kink, if you cut off blood in the body, it's going to start dying. But when everything's healthy, <clears throat> the blood's flowing, and there's no kink in the body, and the ligaments are doing what they should, we will build up ourselves in grace. I'll take John MacArthur. He's taught the Word faithfully, accurately, all these years, and the ministry exploded. I mean, books, schools, conferences, and what is, is he a manager? He would uh, repudiate that. I am a teaching pastor. 
and God equips his people, and when they do what the equipping's intended, the body starts thriving because all of you are the ministers, not here. I'm to be a saint equipper. You're supposed to be helping me do the work. I don't hear you too much. Thank you, Kevin. But, 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 we, but we pay you. We pay you to run the church. There's only one person that can run the church, and that's Christ, unless you've got some bimbos trying to do it. Christ is the head. Do what Christ says. Well, you're, well, you're, well you're, you're there. Yeah, I'm there to do what he said, and that is to equip you for your ministry. And if I'm not doing that, I'm violating the office. Somebody's got to be equipping the saints how to overcome sin, how to live in the home, how to practice right. Just teach them the word, and as they get it and they grow, I experienced this when we started Valley. Uh, I didn't do anything but Bible studies. We met on Tuesday night. God has saved a bunch of young people, but people that would come if they wanted programs, they said, we can't offer programs. There's only one of me. I'm a teacher, and I've got a coffee with you. We can counsel, but that's not what I am. I'm here to teach you the Word, and I'm telling you it wasn't but a short time. This ministry jumping up, this happening, that's happening. That got started. Someone's covering that base. No, we had no charts. We had no managers. I had no secretary. I didn't have anybody on staff, just me. And this church just took off. But you can't grow. Well, we did. How do you think we got where we could build this building? God was bringing a bunch of people like you. And people said, I'm coming because I get to hear the word. I'm coming because I get equipped. I don't want a pastor to eat pie with us. Good night. He needs to go on a diet. I need somebody to teach me how to live for God. I need, and I'm going to try to keep him free from all the distractions of people and ministry. I want to keep him, put the plate under the door and say, keep preparing the word and be a man of prayer and God's liable to build a church. But we're killing preachers because you're not telling them what they ought to be doing and they don't know what they ought to be doing because they keep hearing all your complaints, all your wants, and they want to be everything to everybody. You can't do it. You can't do it. That's why I love this church. I've been able to be me, good or bad. It's your fault. I've grown up with you. And uh, it's wonderful early days. No board, no members. Just show up in a dingy hall and teach the word and sing till our lungs burst. We never had a music practice. We just showed up. And if you know the blue books, we wondered if you were saved. God grew a church. And guess what? He said, equip my people, prepare them, adjust them, adjust them. I think of the young men I first got in this church, the Fernandes boys and others. Hey, I started teaching them, uh, and other men resented me that I was going to seminary with. What are you letting novices preach for or teach? Let me tell you what's killing the church. Hear me. I, I was just, the place was full of it. We're not asking the young people to do anything but sit and hear another sermon. The greatest workforce in this church ought to be 19 to 29-year-olds. You're young. You got the energy. You got the back. What in the world? Are you? I was the dean of a college at 22. 
Nobody passed. <laughs> but I didn't know I was just supposed to do that. Nobody told me I was too young. Because I grew up, you can do anything God wants you to do at any age. What's this? I was just sat in church and um, church ain't for me. No, it's not for the lazy non-contributor. Ask my wife when she started teaching children, about 15. Had a Sunday school class. What class do you teach in this church? You teach any of our children? Ron Hughes has been over there 20 years. Let me tell you, if a bruiser like that, that kind of a man can teach children, you can too. Don't be sitting around, give me another sermon. Oh, you're, oh, you're like a bad film. You're overexposed and underdeveloped. Just eating food won't keep you healthy. You got to exercise. You got to exercise. And some of you, you're not a, you, you've already frozen up. You've locked up. Because you, know, you lay in a hospital bed about a week. You start losing all the strength in your legs. You start all over. Laying around, doing nothing, your body just starts going down. The body has got to be active. And he said, equip them for works of service. The word here, works of service, the word is so works of ministry. It's our word for deacon. It was used of apostles. It was uh, used of Christ. It was used of a spiritual gift. It's a broad word. Just any kind of service. Don't worry about your gift. Just get in there and serve. It's wonderful when you serve the body of Christ. And so he says, be equipped in order that the body will do the service needed to be done. And then he says, it will build up the body of Christ. And uh, let me give you some body exercises. You want to know how to build up the body of Christ? Here's some simple things. Do any of you know how to encourage a person in the body of Christ? Someone has said that the theme song of most churches ought to be where seldom is heard an encouraging word, home, home on the range. Or another favorite, to dwell above with saints we love, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Do you know how to build up the body? Do not encourage. Just come alongside a brother and say, could I encourage you in Jesus? I miss my sister so much. She was an exhorter. And, they, and to have her as a secretary, especially when the arrows were flying and the storms were on, oh, give me one hazel to the whole church. Because she knew how to encourage. She knew how to lift her hands up in the storm. Did you know that person sitting next to you needs encouragement? Everybody, let's see if you obey. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to see if you do an altar call here. Uh, so if the eyes closed, how many of you would love to have an encouraging word said to you today? Raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Nearly the whole church. Write them down for a pledge. We all need an encouraging word, don't we? Comfort one another. Here we've got the Zaragoza family fighting for Leo's life. His heart's weakened. They're, they don't know what to do. Two weeks off of work, rest that weak heart. Uh, do you think, by the way, would the family like to be comforted? And let me say, Suzette is screening the call. So many of you have called. So many of you have tried to uh, help. They're being overrun, as it were, with a caring church. I'll never forget going up to see Charlie. 
after one of his surgeries, Richard Armstrong, Ray Molinar, already had it. Because, see, most of you don't want me to visit you because that means it's terminal. <laughs> you mean the pastor came? You want the others. Because, you know, when I've stood on air hoses before and they died, you know, they, they requested I don't come. Have any of you ever visited a sick person in this church? Anybody ever have uh, Kathy Rasmus and them bring you a meal? I'm talking about a serving body, not a serving, dying pastor that has to be omnicompetent. No, no, no. The body. And we're building, we'll encourage one another, comfort one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. There's about 20 of them. Gene Getz put it in a little book called Building Up One Another. Have you learned to do body exercise? Who are you building up? You say, man, this is what, this is the church universal. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to be reproducing. Ma'am, we're being equipped. We're doing the service. And we're building up the body of Christ. And then five results will happen. These are the effects when we do this. Five things. Notice what will happen. And he names it right here in the passage. Uh, verse 14. We'll stop being deceived. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Okay, we get established and we quit being rocked. Different doctrines, different trends. Uh, we become established because we quit being deceived. There are so many deceptive voices out there today. Demonic voices, according to 1 Timothy 4. Demons are teaching their doctrines. Whether we teach the truth or not, demons will teach theirs. And they're being taught. Two, he said, you'll be established in truthing and love. Watch this. Rather, speaking the truth, not lies. And when you're speaking that truth, You'll do it in love. And that's the challenge, to have that perfect balance. Not just dead right or hard about the truth, but loving with the truth. Uh, if you put love first, you may never get to truth. So you want to stay with the truth of God's word, but pray that God gives you that wisdom and blend truth and love. Uh, take out the hardness with the truth. And uh, he said, that's the balance the Spirit of God produces. And then he goes on to say uh, that the whole body will grow up from whom the whole body, we will grow up every way into him who is the head, verse 15. That is, the growth of the body is growing up to the image of our head. Christ is the, you're becoming Christ-like. Are you Christ-like? Is that what's going on in your growth? I've known people that can be a certain kind of Bible nuts. Uh, I knew guys that were nuts about numerology. If it happened number six day, it had a significance. Number seven, significant. Number three, are, are nuts about prophecy. They know the name of the ten toes of the beast. 
They, they, they're just all prophecy, 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 prophecy. But you didn't see Christ. They just said, okay, we get it. We get it. Hobby horse. Hobby horse. But boy, they're right. They're right. Fights in a minute. He said, grow up to be like Christ. Growth is not measured whether you land as a pre-tribulationist or not. Growth is measured if you act like Christ. Did you care? That you grow up in every way to be like John MacArthur. No, he's to be like Pastor Phil. Yuck. To be like the head. Who's your head? Christ. Are we looking like him? Do you look like Christ? Do your kids ever accuse you of, say, you're acting like Jesus, mama. Whew. Get over there, boy. Is there any Jesus on display in your home, in your marriage? Could you imagine the wife accusing you, oh, stop that sacrifice for me. You're acting just like Jesus. And you're sitting there with the remote, get me a cup of tea. I know a guy that quit dating a woman because they couldn't agree with who controlled the TV switch. He said, no woman's telling me what TV program. So he broke up with her. I'm glad they didn't get married, fight the rest of their marriage over who gets the control. Deep love. Uh, let's see here. This is convicting. Uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You mean if we were all functioning like you said, doing ministry, building up one another, that the body would grow? Yeah, sure would. You mean without a church growth seminar? No, just a little bit of obedience. Are you equipped? Why is it so few do so much? That's why the American church is a wreck, because we got people that are brats in the pew that have been waited on, waited on, waited on, waited on, and firing pastors left and right till they get one they think they can like for at least 18 months. What an absurdity to do God's church this way. Why don't we get somebody that loves to pray, somebody that loves the Bible, somebody that loves to preach, somebody that loves to teach, somebody loves their wife, somebody that loves Christ, somebody walking with God, and see what God can do when the saints get instructed and grow. Instead of saying, we hired you to build this church. Oh, do you see any cape? Uh-uh. You don't have Superman. I'm only one member of the body, and I think I only have one gift. Some of you think you've got many gifts. Well, we like to see some of them on display. I think I've got one gift, and it's taken all of me to do it. And some of you look so rested. I, I remember Ted Montoya came back from vacation, and Rich and I had been swimming with alligators, trying to solve this problem that problem. And he came back, and he was at a staff meeting. He says, man, rest in God. I just feel fresh. Rich nearly knocked him out of the room. 
while you've been uh, drinking, you know, coconut, whatever, we've been over here doing it. We haven't been on vacation two weeks. And after we put Band-Aids on him, he, he got better. You know, oh, I, I just, you're tired. Why? We're doing the work. You know, it's like us men at Thanksgiving. This is my favorite line. This shows that I have sacrificial love. Honey, get out of that kitchen. Come join us. And she in love says, well, old man of God, who is going to fix this meal? Who is going to watch the turkey burn? Who's going to watch the rolls? Honey, just come be with us. You don't mean it. Because if you come over here, we're going to have burnt turkey. I say, stay in the kitchen. Stay in the kitchen. No, she's doing the work. There's no time to be over here. Oh, let's all have a cup of tea together. Somebody does the work. Those equipped do the work. They build up the body, and the body grows. Each part functions, and you have a growing church. <clears throat> I'd say something that hit me this morning, <clears throat> that... Um, I want to be sure that we are this kind of church. And I was gripped by, are we truthing in love? I've been reading a lot of different literature that keeps talking about this homosexual invasion we have in our culture. <clears throat> We're school curriculums, everything. I mean, they're, they're not out there. They're everywhere. And the church is facing a great dilemma. If we elevate this one sin and quote Romans 1, I have to say I've read Romans 1 a few times. There's 31 sins at the end of the chapter. I said there's 31 of them listed, not just homosexuality. We've got to ask ourselves this. Is this a safe place to bring your homosexual granddaughter a lot of folks is ch that chewing on this. Would this be, or is this only for the sanctified? Would you invite a womanizer down here? <clears throat> as long as our bodyguards walk with him. <laughs> Protect our women. <clears throat> but we've got to ask ourselves, is the evangelical church prepared to be kind to homosexual people if they come? Or do we have to disdain them and act hateful to them because they're doing a sin we don't do. You see, if a guy was an adulterer and you invited him and you knew he's unsaved, we wouldn't say, oh, by the way, uh, he's an adulterer. No, 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 no. You wouldn't do that. You're welcome. Come. We want to share. Can we do that way with homosexuals? Can we do that with a lesbian? Are they welcome? No, don't lie to me. You don't have to amen You've got to ask yourself. Because many of our younger people are going to alternate lifestyle. They're doing it in droves. And we've got this thing in the church. You can't come here. Wait, I thought sinners were welcome. What ought to be different, they shouldn't have to come here. You ought to be going there. Would you go after a homosexual to lead them to Christ? I'm asking you, 
I just think it came to me. It's personal, but it really happened. My wife's brother wrote her off and wrote me off because we said no to bringing a guy we found out later was his lover. We didn't know it. He thought he had a prison record, and we didn't want to have someone in our home that we didn't know about. So we honestly said no to a brother. You can't bring this guy. We don't know him. Richard took it that we had rejected his partner, and we didn't even know of his lifestyle at that time. He kept it secret, and we never inquired. <clears throat> anyway, he moved to Mexico, but he had to get his veterans medical treatment in San Diego. He flies to San Diego, gets off the plane, gets down to the tarmac, <clears throat> and, and faints, falls on it, finds out he's got a brain tumor, uh, geoplasoma, <clears throat> and we didn't know then this voice of mine. <clears throat> we didn't know then that he had 22 months to live. Now, he'd already written off his sister as homophobic. These right-wing Christians, you don't have any place for us guys. You just tell us we're going to hell. And you don't have any place for us. Well, I know and my wife flew down, got into a little Ford Focus that her brother owned. And when they released him from this hospital and gave him a terminal diagnosis, she gathered up his stuff and she drove him back to our house. Now, he'd already told his father how bad we were, wrote us off. He was disgusted and no longer was writing her no contact. She's one of these right-wing ev evangelical people. Brought him in the home, and she waited on him for 22 months. Mopped up the floor when he bled on it. We didn't know if he was HIV or not. Fall in the bedroom a lot at the end. Was ruining our carpet because he'd bleed all over. I think my own daughter... Elizabeth, getting out of the shower, falls. This brain tumor started getting, had to, she, totally naked. She's this young mother, has to call Adam Howard. Come and help me pick up my uncle. We got to get him to the bed. They said he had to have chemo. Going to have it at Travis Air Force Base. I was in the foyer one day and trying to figure it out. He had to go there every day. And Richard Armstrong was back there. He said, Pastor, what did I just hear you say? I said, well, boy, my, my brother-in-law's got to go for this chemo treatment. He's got to be up there at a certain time. He's got to do this, got to do that. Tell him the schedule. He said, why didn't you tell the deacons? I said, well, it's not a deacon problem. This is a family problem. He said, well, are you our pastor? You don't want to teach him. Then they talk back to you. <laughs> he, he said, uh, wait, wait. I can get some men. We can share getting him up there. 
We know how to get him to Martinez. We know how to get him to Travis. So pretty soon, Bob Kennedy's helping. Ernie Sanchez, Richard Armstrong. Um, there's another man that I'm forgetting. Uh, Andy Moore back here, first service. They uh, start driving him to Travis. And then Cheryl Palmieri shows up at our house. She was struggling for her life during those days. We didn't know if Cheryl would be alive or not. I mean, she's just come back from the dead, she and Paul. God brought them back. I see you, Cheryl. And uh, she started meeting with Richard. She'd come by. Can I take you for a cup of coffee? I say, now, Cheryl, he's not eligible for marriage. You got to leave him alone. If you know Cheryl, she'd care less. He said, I'm going after him. I want to talk to him about Jesus. One day he prayed to receive Christ with her. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, in that period of time, uh, I never had a man get on his knees and beg me for forgiveness. He's the only man. Got on my knees begged me for forgiveness for bad-mouthing his sister and me and saying we were anti-homosexual. Did we change our view on what the Bible says, that it's sin? The second thing is, can you love a sinner? Will you love this? Well, the world, see, is not just take our Bibles and put it in their face but will it watch your wife every morning at 5.30 sit at a table with her brother figuring out his medications? He was a fuss budget, drive you batty, such a perfectionist. And, and, and the arguments back and forth between because he just had to do it, but his mind's going. And she had to. Uh, I tell you right now, hear me. You don't know it. Black folks. You're here because I asked God to send you. Latinos, I prayed one day, God, send me these Latinos. I wanted to start a Mexican church. Finally decided, Lord, if you'll send them here, we'll treat them just like they're first-class citizens. Filipinos, we were stuck with an Indian boy in Edwin. Pray for India. Uh, that I prayed, God, send the divorced here. Are you divorced? Do you feel welcome in this church? I hope so. This is a place for broken sinners. We're about Jesus and sinners. If you're not, you don't represent him. You're just right-wing politics, right-wing, we're right, we're right. Hey, while you're doing all this right, would you feed somebody going to hell? Would you give somebody a room in your house that was going to hell? And I'm going to tell you, we finally had peace that this uh, cancer-ridden brain, cancer victim, I have assurance in my heart, I'm hoping it gets hope, he's there. He would have never even came. He, did you know, he walked from our house, which is in Rodale, as long as he could. He walked every day to church. On Sundays. This is a boy that didn't go to church. But once his sister loved him. 
despite going public with his lifestyle. We had some lesbians attend the first service. I wish I could have went over and hugged them and said, we're delighted you'd come. Do you think lesbians and homosexuals went to the first century churches? According to 1 Corinthians, that's what many of them were, and God saved you. To be a Corinthian was to visit the temple of Aphrodite and have sex with one of the gods, and the god was a priest up there that got free sex, and you got free worship. The New Testament world was a dirty, filthy, sexually ridden world, and the gospel penetrated, and it gave hope. I want to tell you, homosexual, whoremonger, drunk, drug addict, our gospel can set you free. We'll love you till God sets you free. We'll love you until God sets you free. Now, I wish you'd go out of this place and tell all your friends on the job, say, we love people like you. We want to tell you the greatest story you'll ever hear. Jesus died for sinners. He saved me. He can save you. And the church said, Father, I pray, give us a love for the lost, a love for a broken world. Homes are in crises. Help us tonight as we practice church discipline and two young ladies. We will tell them that we're turning them over to the Lord. Bring the membership out that they may grieve, mourn, and intercede these two precious young ladies. Oh, there's more sin going on than we even know in the church. Every once in a while, you give us a case to deal with where there's no repentance and no desire to turn from their sin. I pray, Father, give us a divine meeting tonight that will break us, give us humility, and say, Lord, Save the generation we live among for the sake of the cross. I invite every member not only to take communion, but we go public when someone is a member, will not break with sin, and they persist, and we notify the church. It's not a stoning. We don't stone people. But we turn them over to the Lord to do what, we're not, what we've not been able to do. We're not banishing them to hell. We don't have that authority. This is not Roman Catholic excommunication. This is remedial love. We turn you over until God changes your heart. If you're a true member of this church and a true member of what Christ is about, he said if two or three show up to do this in Matthew 18, he would be in the midst. God bless you. Maybe encourage someone before you leave. Go.